Well, who's glad to be in church right now? Come on, put your hands together. Homie, welcome everybody in Binghamton, Cortland, and Corning. And then really big, can we put our hands together and welcome everybody joining us online? So good to be with you. Come on, put your hands together and make them feel welcome. Make them feel loved. Well, my name is Will. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to look right at you. I want you to look right at me, and I want you to hear this right from the bottom of my heart, that I love you. I care about you. I've been praying for you. I'm believing that God's going to do something great in your life today because one of my good friends, a church planter extraordinaire, he's also a multiplier. He is an amazing man of God. And I don't let anybody come and speak at Two Rivers unless they're the real deal, if they're actually following Jesus, living it out. Like I know uh, we hang out with a lot of pastors behind the scenes, and you can see if they actually love Jesus, if they actually, or if they are like styling and profiling, but they're not trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. Well, Pastor Joey walks the walk and talks the talk. And I don't know a better way to introduce somebody other than to say that he loves Jesus with all of his heart and all of the other things that you've done. The thing that I love about you the most is that you love Jesus. So can we put our hands together and welcome Pastor Joey Forjanic from the Block Church to Two Rivers. Come on, church, make them feel loved, make them feel welcome and honored today. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome again. Honored to be here. Truly, truly grateful for your pastors. And when Will said he's a good friend, uh, I consider uh, us to be really good friends. So maybe that's on my end, but uh, hopefully we're really good friends going into uh, really, we're, we're heading into best friends level. That's my hope. So anyway, excited to deliver God's word to you today. Hope you have your Bibles. Believe God's going to do a great work in you. Do you believe that today? Amen. Amen. Good. Well, uh, before I get into that, uh, I am a family man, and uh, I've got a beautiful wife. I have two kids, Maverick the boy, uh, Jovi the girl, brand new, uh, and I have uh, Phil the demonic dog, and uh, that's my family, And uh, but I love them despite all of their challenges. Of course, they have to put up with me, uh, but uh, also, as Will said, I pastor the Block Church in Philadelphia, all of our locations. We have six locations in Philadelphia, all of them in the city. And so pray for us. Would you do that? Would you pray for us uh, as we continue to revive every block? That's our, our goal and our mission. Of course, we'll continue to pray for you as revival breaks out all over uh, New York and the Twin Tiers and uh, the whole land. Am I saying that right, Twin Tiers? Look at me go. All right. Well, hey, let's get into God's Word. Um, let, let me let me illustrate it like this. This is the best way I can do it. Uh, my my brand new baby Jovi, she's uh, about eight months old, and uh, as Lauren was pregnant, we were in the process of moving, and <laughs> we were moving, and uh, she loved her doctor. You know when you love your doctor, uh, but but. You're like, uh, you know, we're moving. And, and so we were already a little ways away from our doctor. But then to move, we were going to be like an hour away in rush hour. So I gently and lovingly said to my wife, hey, we should consider changing doctors because what would happen if you go into labor during rush hour? Just a reminder, we live in the sixth largest city in the United States. So it takes a while to get where we need to go. Oh, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I love my doctor, not changing. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay, well, sure enough, sitting around the house, 
Life is good. Nine months pregnant. Joey! Yes, dear. I'm upstairs. She's downstairs. My water broke. We got to go. So I pause for a second. I look at my watch. It's about 4 p.m. Rush hour in Philadelphia. And I say to myself, I bite my tongue. I say, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say what I want to say. I told you so. So for my own safety, I did not say that. Uh, but I did go downstairs, get us in the car, and on we go. Now, I had in the back of my mind, hey, there's another hospital that's close by. If we want to just stop there, it's only 15 minutes away versus now what I see on the GPS, an hour away. No, I love my doctor. We need to go to my doctor. Are you sure? And, and I only wanted to ask one more time because, you know, when, well, if, if you've ever been giving birth, if you've ever been in labor, uh, from what I understand, it's a very painful thing. I wouldn't know, of course, except the fact that I was getting abused. You know, her hands were deep into my arms, punching me, saying, you better not let me have this baby in the car. And so I'm trying to drive over people, and, and I'm just like, okay, last time I'm not going to ask again because I don't want to die. Are you sure you don't want to go to the close doctor? No, I love my doctor. And so on we go, on we go, and it like, we are not going to make it. We are not going to make it. And so, finally, I, I pull off, and I see a state trooper. When I see the state trooper, uh, I, am, I am, I guess, relieved. And I say, hey, we're in labor. <laughs> we're about to have a baby. And he rolls down his window, and his face goes white. Because he knows the responsibility has now moved from me to him. Because if, if now he's got to do something, now he's in charge now. And so he goes, okay, follow me. And he, he, he takes off. And I have a video of this. As I'm talking, you, you can throw it up. Uh, basically, I get us a police escort to the hospital. Come on, somebody. I went from zero to hero. Hallelujah. God can take a messed up person and to, like me, zero to hero. And so, hey, I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. He didn't want to deliver the baby, neither did I. We got to the hospital, had the baby, and here we are today. Come on, can we give God a praise? <laughs> All right. I tell that stupid story for a point. Uh, later on, after we had the baby and everyone was healed and happy, I said to my wife, can I understand your ideology, your thinking here? What, what compelled us? What compelled uh, you to not change doctors? And I was trying to be gentle and loving. And she said, I was comfortable with my doctor. I had control of the situation. Now, when giving birth, that's not a bad thing to be comfortable and have control of the situation. I'm not saying she did the wrong thing at all. But if I can parallel that to a spiritual principle for a moment, let me do that. Some of us make decisions because of control and because we're comfortable with what we have, what we used to have, or how we always used to do things. Uh, some of us, we just, we just make, we make irrational decisions. We, we live in certain ways. We think certain ways based on control, comfort. And what's the root? Fear. Some of us vote. Some of us act. Some of us date. 
Some of us get with the same people, be out of this place of fear and anxiety. It, we, we want control because we're comfortable. Some of us are comfortable with a spirit that oppresses us. And the Bible says this. When you and I are in Christ Jesus, we're a what? A new creation. I heard everybody say it. The old is gone. The new has come. When, when Jesus went to the cross, when, when, they, when they put nails in his feet and in his hands, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, it represented a beautiful exchange. God never takes things away from us. He is always emptying us to put something new in us. And, and when God put, when the crown of thorns went on his head, it was an exchange. His mind for my mind. In other words, I don't have to think the old ways because our thinking often determines our acting. You know the old adage, my attitude, attitude and my attitude. My attitude determines my altitude. So how you think takes you where you want to go or where you shouldn't go. So if we're in Christ, and we're a new creation, so must our thinking. So today, I want to preach a message, and I want to call it, Think for Your New Self. Come on, somebody. Think for Your New Self. If you're taking notes, think for your new self. New self. I want to go to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 12 three times, and then I'm going to give you verse 14, 15, and 16. Anybody struggling with their mental health? You don't, that's rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand or point to your spouse. But, you know, some of us are struggling. Anxiety, depression, fear. I want to help you today. It starts with thing with our new self. Bible says, so as God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well-beloved by God himself, jump to verse 14, beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourselves in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best for others. I love this because Paul is essentially writing to a disrupted church. People in a scramble. People in chaos. And he says, guys, if we're God's own people, how we're going to get along, how we're going to function in this crazy world where we're under attack, under pressure, under siege, we're taking it out on each other. If we're going to be successful, we've got to first put on love. And how we do that is we let love define us. You've got to let love define you. Now, that, that sounds a little bit rudimentary, honestly. It, it sounds very simplistic. Of course, I'm a Christian. Let love define me. Well, I think it's important that we, before we get our mental health right and our mind right, we have to understand where love comes from. Because you can't think right if you don't truly understand what love means. You can't act right from a place of blessing, from a place of sonship and being a daughter of God. You can't, if you don't really understand that you're loved and that you put that on like a coat of many colors. The best way I can describe it is a lot of Christians, well, when you play sports, Deion Sanders used to say it like this, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good, right? And some Christians, well, I was, well, I was, I was playing flag football, 
And they gave me the wrong t-shirt size. It was, I'm not as thin as I used to be. Wearing the wrong t-shirt size, I was kind of embarrassed because it was a little tight. I didn't play good. The next week, I had the right t-shirt size, and I was unbelievable. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, you're wearing the wrong t-shirt size. You say you love, you say you're full of love, but you don't look right. You don't feel right. You're not thinking right because we're determining love from the way the world defines it. Culture tells us that love is love. Just love whoever. Love is love. Let it be. That's not the way God defines love. You can't think right if you don't understand love. What is love? Love is truth. Somebody say that. Love is truth. Matthew 1, 24 through 25, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary, come on, we're having Christmas here. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. This is interesting. Bible says he wakes up, he does what the Lord commands, he takes Mary as his wife, and he doesn't have sexual relationship until the son is born. They're married, but he waits. Why? Well, it messes with me. She's already pregnant, already married. Maybe it was to prove the story wouldn't be discredited. But the most important thing we have to catch here is there is a radical nature to Joseph's commitment. He's obedient it proves love. It reminds you of 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible, but not beneficial. When you love, you live a certain way. You might be permissed to do something. He may have been permissed to have sexual relations, but out of his obedience and his love, he chose to wait so that the story could be told in its purest form. He was obedient, proving his love. The, what I'm saying is this. Love is not love however we define it. Love is obedience. So I'm telling you love is truth. And you can't have truth without love. You can't have love without truth. But the proof that believers love God is that they're obedient. And when we're obedient to God, it begins to transform us because God's blessing follows our obedience. And when we're obedient, God blesses and then we actually believe we're sons and daughters. It changes the way we think. John, 2 John 1.6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, it is his command that you walk in love. Friends, we are the thief on the cross. Jesus received love, his obedience. We're the enslaved Israelites whom God offers freedom, his love. We're the leopard he healed. We're the disciples he provided miraculous fish for. We're the guards who beat him, yet he died for us. I could go on and on and on. We are loved by God. we got to put it on. When we put on love, it changes the way we think. Think for your new self. It starts with putting on love. Verse 12 again says, as God's own chosen people. That's you and I who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, well-beloved by God himself. This is verse 15. Let the peace of Christ, and I love how the Amplified says this, the inner calm of someone who walks with him daily. 
Come on, somebody. Be the controlling factor, the controlling factor in your hearts. Deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace indeed, you were called as members in one body of believers and to be thankful to God always. This is such an interesting way Paul phrases this. He says, let the peace of Christ control you. I don't... It doesn't sound good to be controlled. Would you agree with that? But there's a different word for control that I'm going to get to for a moment. But what I'm telling you is if you're going to think for your new self, you've got to put on love, but you also have to let peace control you. Now, what does that word control mean? Because I don't want to be controlled unless it means something good. I'm already controlled. I'm married. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Calm down. The Greek word here, control, means to arbitrate, to judge. So when there's a doubtful issue in your life, when you're trying to make a decision, when you sense anxiety or, or fear or stress or panic, and when your peace is disturbed, if you are controlled by peace, your peace or the spirit in you will begin to judge what's right, what's true, and what's not. There's healthy anxiety. There's bad anxiety. Healthy anxiety is, hey, I probably shouldn't drive 95 miles an hour uh, around a bend uh, so that I don't fly off into the mountain. That's healthy anxiety. Hey, I shouldn't text and drive. Healthy anxiety. Why am I doing this right now? There's a, there's a level of healthy anxiety, right? I can't let my one-year-old play in the living room by myself while I go up and sleep. You understand what I'm saying? Some healthy Nerve endings, right? But then there's unhealthy anxiety where we're controlled by fear, we're controlled by shame, uh, we're stressed, we're panicking, where are we going, what are we doing, what's going to happen, I can't sleep, I'm wrestling, I'm depressed. These sorts of things honestly control a lot more of us than we're willing to admit. But, but the word that Paul says is let peace control you. If you're going to think for your new self, let peace control you. In other words, if peace controls you, if the Spirit of God leads you, has full permission over you, then he's arbitrating, he's judging what's coming. He's telling you, this is not of me, this is of me. A great way to illustrate it would be baseball. This is baseball season. And the best batters will sit in the batter's box and they will wait for their pitch. But more importantly, they will judge when the pitch is being released from the pitcher. So a pitcher is setting up, and he's coming back. They've studied the pitcher. They see the pitcher wind up. And as the ball is being released, the good batters can see and begin to judge right away. What do they do? They say, curveball, fastball, slider, breaking ball, knuckleball. I don't know. I don't know all the pitches. Spitball, whatever. And so they're calling it out before they swing. They know they're not swinging at some crazy changeup that's going to come 60 miles an hour and going to make them whiff. Those are the best batters. In Luke 8, Jesus delivers a man from demons. As he delivered him from demon possession, he, the, Jesus demanded to the demon, what is your name? Friends, we have the same power in us that conquered the grave. Oh, you don't believe me? Come on. Is it true that the Bible says that the same 
power, the same resurrection spirit that conquered the grave, that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and me. Do you believe it or don't you? If that's the case, then you have permission as a controlling factor, as an arbitrator, as a judge, when Satan throws a pitch at you, when he throws anxiety at you, when he throws fear at you, when he throws shame at you, when he throws stress at you, when he throws darkness at you, when you speak it, you got to call it out for what it is. I will not be controlled by anxiety today. I will not be controlled by fear today. I will not let this disrupt my marriage today. Satan, you cannot have my kids today. Satan, you cannot have my peace today. I will not be controlled by someone cutting me off today. I will not be controlled by my coworker who spilled coffee on me today. I want to kill him, but I'm arbitrated by the Spirit. I'm not preaching to anybody. That is in you. And if you want to think with your new self, you'll let peace control you. Friends, if you're anxious, it's time to pray. Sometimes you're so anxious, the only thing you could do is pray with groans and pray by the Spirit. If you're overwhelmed, it's time to worship. Jesus, I need you. And you begin to turn it into a song. I don't know what song you need to turn it into. But a lot of times, I just need to say, it is well with my soul. If you don't know what to do, it's time to get in the Word. Because the Word will guide If you're confused, it's time to shut off the extra noise. If you're sad, it's time to lean into Christ-like community. Did you know that anxiety, specifically, is plaguing us at an all-time high? Book sales off the charts for anxiety, depression. People are committing suicide left and right. And listen to me and look at me right now. If you are in a place of deep, dark pain and you are committing self-harm, or you are, you are considering suicide or self-harm, I rebuke that spirit I committed to go right now in Jesus' name that is not of God. And that is not your future, and that is not your destiny. That, that spirit must leave in Jesus' name. Because the enemy is, has been released. A spirit, a spirit of Jezebel has been released in this season to try to take believers and kingdom movers and leaders out. Do not let him have you. And if I can give you seven quick practical tips to overcoming anxiety and depression, especially, here's what they are. Number one, you must know yourself and your triggers. Why am I overeating right now? It's a trigger. There's something going on deep down inside. It's a root. If we don't have rest and stillness, honesty and hobbies, we are going to find ourselves in a place of falling into that. Know what triggers you. Know yourself. The best way to be victorious for yourself is to know yourself and invite the Holy Spirit in the areas of yourself that's weak. Number two, embrace your place. There's a difference between general anxiety disorder and comparison anxiety disorder. I made comparison anxiety disorder up, but it's obvious. Many of us, the reason we're so down and anxious is because we spend so much time on social media looking at everybody else's highlights and everybody else's life. And we now 
are calling general anxiety disorder. We're on pills and we don't need to be because we actually have comparison anxiety disorder. Stop looking at everybody else and start saying, God, what do you want to do through me? Here's number three. Accept what you cannot change or control. Anxiety isn't always a fear problem. It's a love problem. Do I trust him? I can't control this. You're in a hospital room. All you can do is pray. I've got to accept what I cannot change and believe for God. And if God chooses to take me on, as hard as that is, if he chooses to take the loved one on, as hard as it is, I either trust him or I don't. And I know that's easier said than done, but a lot of times fear, it's a love problem. Number five, excuse me, number four, know your overarching purpose as a sheep or a believer. Why? Because purpose makes pain manageable. If you have kingdom purpose, if you are doing things for the kingdom of God when pain comes, you still have a purpose. And purpose makes pain manageable. A lot of times, so many of us get taken out by the enemy because we forget our purpose or we stop doing our purpose. And so the pain is unmanageable because we have no purpose to balance it out. Number five, get back on the path. There's always time to come back to God and his word. Oh, prodigal right now. The Father, God waits for you to come home. Get back on the path. There's nothing you have to, there's no dress up you got to play. There's no makeup you got to put on. There's no gold you got to put on. He'll do all that for you. All you got to do is show up ragtag broken. He says, come on home. I'm going to put my arms around you. Out with the shame, in with the love. Number six, engage the helper. Christian, if you do not have an ongoing active relationship with the Holy Spirit, he is your arsenal. He is your weapon. He is your shield. He is your, your, your sword. You need an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit does? does? He does and he does. He tells the weather. When you have an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit, a lot of times he will warn you, don't go that way. It's almost like flying an airplane and radar. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, a lot of turbulence over there. Avoid that. A lot of times he will, not every time, sometimes God allows us to go through storms to prove that he's God and he's not worried about it or he wants to meet you in the water. But a lot of times, by his Holy Spirit, you will avoid drama and trouble and pain by listening to him and simply turning left when he says, when you want to go right. We're staying away from that person when you really want to have him. Last one, find a tribe of sheep. You really want to overcome the pain, the anxiety, the fear. Find a tribe of sheep. That could be counseling that this church offers, but it also is people in groups and relationship. Because here's the thing. When sheep isolate, the wolf eats them. But sheep are made to insulate, and they are protected by the good shepherd. All right. Um, I'm closing. I've got another verse. I'm going to go a little long today. Have mercy, forgive me. I hope I get invited back. But this is, this is too good. You got to catch this last part. Verse 12, you and I were God's chosen holy people. We're set apart, we're sanctified for his purpose, we're well-beloved by God himself. If we're going to think for our new self, we've got to wrap ourselves in love, the truth about love. We've got to let peace control us, right? But verse 16, but the spoken word, 
of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things. And admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you know that if you spent your time singing psalms and hymns and praises and the word, you wouldn't have time to be so down and out. Right? But if you want to think for your new self, you must let the word live in you. you got to hide it in your heart. Again, I know it sounds rudimentary, but God has given us practical steps to clear out and clean out our mental health. And one of those things is hiding God's word in our heart and letting it be a lamp to our feet. And sometimes when we don't know what to say or pray or do, we have the word on our tongue. I got a verse for that. Now, there's a sad nationwide survey of America's Christian pastors that shows that a majority of pastors lack a biblical worldview. In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37% of pastors possess a biblical worldview. And a majority, 62% of pastors hold a hybrid worldview. Well, no wonder there's so much craziness going on. In the church, if the pastors don't have a worldview, a, a biblical worldview, I wouldn't expect our parishioners to have one. Want to hear an even more sad stat? Christians, four in ten, believe the Bible is the word of God. Nine percent have a biblical worldview. It makes sense that so many of us are bound, unfree, depressed, broken, anxious, caught up in addiction, promiscuity, same old sin, that we're not thinking with our new self because we don't really believe the word is real. But the only way to experience the word is if you work the word. I say it like this. If you want the word to work, you got to work the word. I'm not saying reading the Bible fixes all your problems, but I am saying living the Bible leads you to a life of victory despite your problems. Here's what a biblical worldview is, and I want you to say amen out loud every location if you believe this. A biblical worldview is defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist, that such truth is defined by the Bible and firm belief in six religious views. Here they are. If you believe it, say amen, number one, that those views were that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Do you believe it? The second one was that God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real. Yeah, we know that one. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people. Last one, the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. Friends. If we don't believe that, we're headed for trouble. And if you don't believe it, get into some godly community so that the word can live in you, so the word can flow from you. Here's what a secular worldview is. If it offends me, it's wrong. The contrary biblical worldview is that absolute truth exists and it can be offensive. In other words, you should feel some type of way when you hear truth. It's called conviction. And if you're feeling conviction from your sin, what you've got to do is go do something with it. 
Not talking about condemnation, not talking about feeling shame, but a lot of what happens to us believers is because the word doesn't live within us. We feel conviction, we do nothing, and when we don't do anything, the devil gets a stronghold and a place in our life, and then bam, we're anxious, we're depressed, we're gone. Feel conviction and act. A secular worldview says I'm better than you because of your color, status, or position. But a biblical worldview suggests I'm better with you because of your color, status, or position. Come on, unity. Secular worldview is that my body is my own choice. A biblical worldview is that my body is a living sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 19-20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You want to think for your new self. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing God, how do you want my life to be used? Here's my hands. Here's my heart. Here's my wallet. Here's my feet. Here's my time. I'm all yours, God. Show me you are who you say you are. Secular worldview would be this. If I disagree with you, you're canceled. The biblical worldview would be this. If I disagree with you, I love you. I pray for you. I bless you. Come on, let's wrestle and let's walk this out. Let's figure this out together. As I close, I said that already, but I'm really closing this time. (laughs) Guest preachers are so bad. A few weeks ago, we were at our team conference and our team conference is where we gather as many of our volunteers as we can and it had about 500 or so of our volunteers on the block teams and I was walking through the lunch hall saying hi to some people because I don't see everybody because they see me on video and this one woman grabbed me hey I gotta tell you a story I gotta tell you a story I said oh tell me but I didn't know what she was gonna say you know and she said I just want to let you know that your church and being a part of your church saved my life you know, Jesus saved my life, but, but your obedience, I mean, you, you put the church there. And I said, well, what happened? She said, well, I, I, I'm married and I've got kids, and, but, but I, I've just, I, I was so depressed. I was so down. I, I was just so full of darkness. And, and, and one day I, I, I was actually about to take my life. And I said to myself, well, there's this dumb church in my neighborhood. I might as just well give God one chance before I go meet him or not. And so she walked in and said the music was loud, but as the music started to play, God began to start softening her heart. And she said, you came up on a screen, and I was so confused. Why is the preacher on a screen? What's happening? But but then the word began to get through to me, and it was like God put me on a surgery table, and he, he opened up my heart, and he just started to right there in 30 minutes or 35 or however long I preached, he started to do surgery work, and all of a sudden the darkness began to rise and go and I no longer wanted to kill myself. I wanted to live and live abundantly and live free and I I went home with with new hope and new dreams and new vision. I went and I held my babies and I hugged my husband and I knew God was real. I knew he was alive. And that same God who can do that work in them can do it for you. See what God was doing is he was renewing her mind. He was regenerating her heart. But you know what happened? 
she went to God's house. She stood and she let the words begin to open her up. And then she let the word begin to live within her. You want to think for your new self. You've got to wrap yourself in love. God, what's love? I'm not going to define love by my own terms. I'm going to define it by yours. I'm going to let peace control me. No more nonsense. I'm calling the devil's tricks. And then I'm going to let the word live inside of me. Change me. Transform me. Renew me. Then you think for your new self. Then everything's different. Wherever you are, at every location, I don't know how it works here at your church, but I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Every location, every person, even if you're at home, wherever you are, I believe God's going to heal minds right now. I believe that he's going to set people free right now. I believe that the spirit of fear is going to be driven out by God's perfect love. Wherever you are, every head bowed, every eye closed, believing marriages are going to be healed and transformed and saved. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you and make you raise your hand, but I know that right now the enemy is leaving, folks. I know right now that spirits who've tormented you are running for the hills right now. And right now, in Jesus' name, I prophesy and I declare in Jesus' name, freedom, life, deliverance, depression, go, spirit of suicide. Suicide, be gone in Jesus' name. Anxiety that plagues and keeps someone home right now, set them free. Spirit of God, I thank you that when they go home, it's going to be different. It's no more tears of fear, but it's tears of joy. Oh God, right now you are taking ashes and you're making beauty. Thank you, Lord. Your Holy Spirit is here. Someone's life is being saved and changed right now. Right now in your heart, you're giving your life to Jesus Christ. In fact, right now, invite him in. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Take residence in me right now. Someone needs to say that. I give you authority. I give you autonomy. No longer am I in control. You are Lord. And I trust you today. I trust you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.